Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Christian Mader. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. When you have a business, you usually have some sort of business plan. Even if you don't run endless spreadsheets, you have goals and an idea of how things will look if everything goes right. And though you might be a bit more reluctant to think about it, you generally have an idea of what things might look like if it got rough. But as they say, the best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry. For my two guests on Out to Lunch today, there was nothing in the playbook to turn to when 2020 happened. When we first talked to them about appearing on Out to Lunch, we had a very different show planned for April 2020. They both had very different shows planned for them, too. Scott Feehan is executive director of Festival International. If you live in Acadiana, you're already wincing in sympathy and wondering what's what's going to happen to festival in 2021 if you don't know anything about festival international it's a sprawling colorful world famous and free festival that takes place in downtown lafayette every year in april it's the biggest international music and arts festival in the united states um scott feehan welcome back to out to lunch acadiana yeah thanks for having me it's good to be back the disruptions of the coronavirus pandemic weren't felt only by big outdoor gatherings. It made indoor events unsafe, too. Even intimate seated affairs, such as local theater companies uh, like one here in Lafayette, run by my guest Stephen Landry. Stephen is the managing artistic director of Acadiana Repertory Theater, a rare breed of theater companies that specialize in premiering new plays. If you're one of the 73,000 playwrights on planet Earth, it's tough getting your work performed on any stage anywhere. That's why Acadiana Repertory Theater gets to select their annual season of three or four shows from over 1,400 submissions. Stephen Landry, welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me. So, um, Scott, let's cut to the chase here. I mean, the one question everybody wants to know, right, is, is there going to be a festival 2021? And, and I have a feeling that's not a simple yes or no answer, um, but... And certainly I'm not the first person to ask that. So let's go about this two ways. One, what is the standard answer that you give people when when you when you get asked that question? And, and two, what, what are you telling your sponsors? I mean, there is sort of a, a larger financial question that you have to answer, right? Like it's sort of getting prepped. You guys have a very long arc to work with. Yeah, I mean, so the, the quick answer is yes, uh, there will be a festival. Now, what, what format and what the uh, the end result looks like, That's uh, that's kind of what we're working through right now. And so, uh, you know, there's so many challenges, as we all know. So the first exercise we went through is um, we mapped out, you know, we started planning the festival in its full glory, just like we do every year. Um, but then we, we started, you know, we have to be honest about it. So we started kind of dicing down a, a bunch of different formats, kind of looking at our layout and and try to plan for the different variables. So we, we started looking at the different you know, if we go, if we have to chop a stage or if we move a stage and if the guidelines are, you know, this by this point, I mean, we're, we're just trying to lay out all the different scenarios. So at this point, we're kind of prepared to pivot however we need to in our normal uh, layout in downtown. 
And right now we're starting to brainstorm and look, uh, look outside as well, you know, to, to cover social distancing issues downtown. You know, I, I, I don't have the answer for that. I'm not sure we'd be able to, frankly. Um, so we're looking at other venues and I mean, right now we, uh, it, we have a big brainstorming board and nothing is out of bounds. So we're, we're just exploring and trying to prepare for whatever comes our way. And, and of course, whatever we come up with after we, you know, we pivoted this year and did the virtual event. So our plan all along was to take some of the things we learned from the virtual space and piggyback on our live event, uh, no matter what it is. So uh, with whatever format we have, we're certainly working on a, a virtual component as well. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that. I mean, it seems like you guys had some success with that and then you put it together pretty quickly. So now you have an opportunity over the course of you know a year um, to, to figure out what virtual programming might look like. I mean, I know the school system, right? It's alternating. You go to school one day, you're on a Zoom call the next day. I mean, presumably you could pull something similar off, right? Where if somebody wanted to hit uh, the main stage one day, but kind of check it out from online. I mean, is, is it but are you guys planning to do something more substantial than just sort of like streaming the video? You guys have always streamed the shows, right? Well, in, historically, we haven't had a part in that. That was K, KRVS and AOC who were handling that, you know, any sort of external component uh, or external delivery component. So this year, yeah, it was, uh, it was very quick and um, it was all uncharted. I mean, it was essentially a three-week turnaround for us to produce that virtual festival. And, um, and it worked, it went way better than I think any of our wildest expectations could have hoped for. And I think, that, you know, the community really rallied behind it. So some of the things that we, you know, we had ideas to do, but we just didn't have time to do in, in three weeks. Um, that's kind of what we're looking at. And we're actually working with uh, Festivals of Cadillac and Creole right now to help produce their virtual event. And so one of the things that they're, that we will be doing with them which is one that we hope to take with us is, you know, they're going to have actual live music at two different venues at the ACA and rock and bowl. And then we'll have some curated, um, you know, recordings and other, other performances. So with the, what we did for virtual fest was we just had one curated stream that we had a control room here in the office. We put it all together and, and beamed it up to the cloud with festivals of Cadillac Creole. We're going to be streaming up from two, three different venues, essentially, to a control room in the sky, then we're going to be beaming it out to the different endpoints. So with what, what we're doing for them, and then it, it sounds like we're going to be working with uh, Downtown Alive as well. So we're basically just kind of building up our toolkit right now. And so whatever form we take in the future, we can beam, we'll have the infrastructure to stream up from multiple venues, whether those are stages in downtown or stages elsewhere and at other venues. We'll be able to stream it up and and divvy it up and shoot it out to the world. Wow! So so speaking of you know brave new worlds here, I mean, Katie and our repertory theater, Stephen has been doing something very brave in the entertainment business for a while, which is actually producing original theater in a small market. Um, so so it's I think people just kind of people understand. I mean, typically a theater company might stage Hamlet or Beauty and the Beast or something, and they know an audience would show up because it's a you know a standard people know it. But you guys take you know sort of a riskier approach, right? I mean, it's almost like the difference between you know the live band that plays originals, a live band that plays a covers, right? Like you guys um, you facilitate uh, works and and uh, that are new that nobody's never heard of. So you know besides like the bragging rights, right. Of being able to say like, we, 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 we put it on here first. I mean, do you guys actually get a financial benefit from being the first production house to stage that sort of thing, like a royalty or something that carries with it? Quite the opposite. Um, the, the, the thing is, is for us, it's about 
we are we are championing these new voices. That's the joy for us. Is that is that our thing has always been about there are stories that need to be told, there are voices that need to be heard, and somebody's got to do it. Um, so you know, we might down the road see our name in a script once it gets published, or our name is in a program once it has its world premiere. But for us, it's about making Lafayette and Acadiana uh, a, a sort of safe space for these playwrights from all around the, the country. And we've had a few international playwrights as well to come and develop their work uh, so that they can they can have a long career and the story can have a long life after us. Wow. I mean, can, can you give us an idea of where these things tend to go? I mean, I, you know, I don't know how broadly familiar folks might be with the, you know, the stage, right? As, as, as a so I'm like, are you guys producing stuff that might end up, you know, on Broadway? I mean, like, what happens? What happens in the typical life cycle of what you guys get? Sure. So a playwright will write a play um, and, and, and sort of go through a cycle of development with it. They'll have uh, readings locally, wherever they are. It might be with friends. It might be in their living room as they sort of develop what this show sounds like. Uh, and then it kind of comes to the next step, which is usually where theaters like Acadiana Rep comes in where these playwrights need to see and hear it on its feet so they can see what works, what doesn't work theatrically. Um, and then after us, they're usually gonna try for, for an official world premiere in a larger market. So that could be New Orleans, but that could also be Houston or Chicago, New York or, or Los Angeles. Um, and once it gets to that stage, it's sort of in its final stage. So our job is the go-between, between the writing of the show and it getting a larger world premiere in its final form. Um, we've had a couple shows that have, have premiered off-Broadway in their world premiere, um, some that have just premiered in larger cities. Um, and then we've had, I think we're on our fourth show that's been published now. Um, so, you know, that's, that's sort of the life of these shows. And they may have multiple layers of development. We might be only one theater in that process, um, but, but we're sort of the in-between. Uh, of writing. This is kind of interesting to something that seems like, you know, both of you guys kind of take advantage of what Lafayette would seem to represent as a market, right? Like it's not a big place. It's not a small place either. I mean, are there unique advantages to putting on a festival the size of Festival International or trying to attract, say, talent to, to you know, to Lafayette, folks who are looking or kind of hungry to try out their stage? I mean, I guess kind of kick that question over to you, Scott. I mean, like, is there just something beyond sort of the you know, quality of life here that, that makes Lafayette a, a good place to put on such like a big festival? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, for me, I mean, I grew up with this festival, so I kind of, I took a lot of it for granted. Um, and when I start, when I got started getting involved 10 years ago, that's when I really started trying to learn about why, what made festival successful. And, you know, if you think about in the mid eighties, uh, the founders came up with this crazy idea to throw an international music and arts festival in downtown Lafayette, you know, 1987. Would, had you proposed that idea to me then, I, I, I'd have thought you were out of your mind. And, and I've told the founders that too, is, I mean, you guys were crazy. So I, I think they were just crazy enough to get it off the ground and make it, they just, you know, and they, a couple of them have told me, said, yeah, we were just too young and stupid to know any better. And it, it took on a life of its own. And, and yeah, I think it somehow it married very well with kind of our joie de vivre and, uh, you know, I'd love to get out and dance and celebrate. So it, and, you know, it was actually a few years after Festivals of Cutting and Creole started. So I think there was kind of a love for, for celebration in the area that was already there. And, 
and uh, Festival International just kind of tapped this this really cool uh, you know niche on on top of it. So it's been fun, Stephen. I mean, it, so it's interesting because like I think people generally associate right the culture in Lafayette with extroversion, like the idea that something makes sense if it's Festival International because we get people go dancing or whatever. I mean, you know, it, does Lafayette really make that much of a sense for for you know a seated you know, intent, intimate art form like, like theater. I mean, have you found that like this sort of very boisterous community is really taken to the idea of something that requires some, some thought or maybe a quiet space to appreciate? Yeah. You know, every small town around Lafayette has its own community theater. I mean, I grew up in Abbey Players. Um, I have board members who um, are still members of Eunice Players Theater. So we are a culture that has for years supported live theater the thing is we're a culture that loves stories. We're a culture that was built on stories passing from one generation to the next. And so the theater is a natural way for us to hear stories outside of ourselves. Um, you know, we're used to the stories that our parents tell us. Uh, these are opportunities to sit and spend some time listening to a story from a culture that, that may not be ours. Um, the thing is Lafayette audiences are also great because they are not afraid to be vocal. They're not afraid to give you that feedback. Um, and when you're doing live theater and we perform at Cité des Arts, when you're doing live theater, people in the front row are two feet from you. So there's a, there's an energy that people in this area give back. Um, that, that I think is, is unique, is unique to us. Do, do the playwrights find that you know, sort of intimidating? I mean, coming to like being, or, or is this something that they're typically accustomed to? They love it. They, they, um, most of our playwrights will travel down to Lafayette to spend, um, some have spent one night, some have spent two and a half weeks with us, um, coming to rehearsals, helping to develop the piece. Uh, they say that they've never been anywhere like this and they see why we've chosen to make a home here, uh, theatrically because mm -hmm. audience members will just walk up to them after like their, you know, their new best friend, as opposed to, Oh, it's the playwright. We can't. They love that interaction because um, hmm. that's what they're craving, and that that will feed their further development of this show. So, how do you guys fund that? It sounds like you got people coming from out of the market. I mean, a guy guys traveling. Are you guys paying for? How do you make this work? Usually, they pay for their own uh, uh, airline tickets, and that's common, you know, at this stage. But most of the time, they take up residence in my guest room. Um, we are as grassroots um, as we can be. Um, it helps that we're also as Cajun as we can be. So doors are opened, pots are filled with things that have been cooked by me or one of my company members. Um, and, you know, we do what we can with what we have. Uh, we have existed on very little for 10 years now. Um, we hope in the future that there are grants and there are support that will come through. But right now, what's important to us is continuing to put this work on to fulfill our mission and to be able to, to provide the service we provide to these playwrights. So it's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned that you guys obviously work with Cité des Arts, right? It's a nonprofit organization. Um, it seems like the arts generally have always relied on collaboration. You know, Scott, something that you mentioned earlier, it seems like there's a new level of collaboration that, you know, big programmers in Lafayette are having to deal with. And I presume Acadiana in general, right? In, in trying to figure out how to navigate what will likely be a difficult environment to put on large scale productions for some time. I mean, regardless of when a vaccine comes out, I mean, I think people are going to be feel differently about the outside world. So I guess I'm curious about like how this collaborative, you mentioned, you know, working with Festival Arcadian, uh, downtown 
uh, downtown alive. I mean, how, how does that work in practice? I mean, beyond just getting together, I mean, are you guys trying to make sure you're not stepping on each other's toes? What are you learning from each other? Yeah, it's, 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 we've had a lot of very interesting discussions, you know, before, um, before COVID we, we worked together in some capacities. I mean, we worked together with downtown alive for the past uh, couple of years. Uh, Festivals of Cadena and Creole has been a lot of fun. I mean, they, you know, when they were faced with the same decision we were faced with, they, they basically said, you know, if, if you guys are willing to help, we'd, we'd rather learn the lessons that you already learned and not have to reinvent the wheel. And we certainly learned a lot of tough lessons in that regard, you know, with the virtual space. So it's been a, it, it's been a really natural uh, partnership with them. And it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, but it, it even goes outside of our borders. And, and uh, probably Stevens had a similar uh, experience. Like we were meeting with uh, Jack French Quarter Fest next week. Um, we've talked to Savannah um, Jazz uh, Festival, and so there, there's a big, you know, community. I mean, after we did our virtual fest, we were reached out to by the North American Presenters Association, and, and they, you know, they wanted us to present to them because everybody's trading notes right now trying to figure it's, I mean, it really is uncharted territory. So we're kind of in a, you know, national network of everybody just trying to figure it out on their own and, and trading lessons learned and and what worked, what didn't. I mean, it's it's all new for all of us. So yeah, we're we're all looking out for each other because we realize we have to get through this. You know, we what we thought what we're hoping was a one year transition. Sounds like it's going to be longer than that. So, I mean, it's it's tough on a lot of folks. And and you know, some what we're seeing right now already is is a lot of the people who we would cross book with. You know, when we bring artists in from in, um, across the pond or across any ocean, we can't just fly them in for our festival. We have to organize a tour around North America and then you have to coordinate with the IRS regulations. I mean, it's a complicated mix and we're already seeing some of the people that we have historically booked with are, are not able to withstand this storm. And, and I'm not sure what the other side looks like. So we're all trying to band together and, you know, figure out how we can help each other in any ways we can. So it strikes me that, you know, so much of, I would imagine, like in terms of you guys being able to sell sponsorships and things like that to, 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 to folks to make sure you can put up stages is, you know, the, the attraction of this very large festival that drives a lot of people to it. I mean, it, certainly there's some uncertainty about what that will look like in the future. I mean, has it had an impact on, on, you know, sponsors sort of stepping up to say like, no, we want to do this because they might not see as much of a visibility benefit from it. Yeah, we so there was a big mix um, this year. Certainly, um, some of there was a portion of our sponsors who said we're behind you guys no matter what. Um, and now, and part of that was because we went to them and said, "Hey, we are about to get creative. Uh, trust this. We don't know what it's going to be, but trust that we're going to do what we can." And so, a certain portion just said, "We're with you guys no matter what." Um, certainly, there was a portion that said, "I have no idea what this virtual thing is. I know my teenagers get on Facebook and." They spend way too much time. I don't want to. I don't want any part of it. And then there was a gray area in the middle. And uh, there's actually been a couple sponsors who have since come up and said, you know, I, I wish we'd have come on board because now that's all we're doing right now is, is this virtual space. And you, know, you guys were kind of ahead of the curve on it. So looking forward to next year, what our conversation now is, guys, we still have no idea what next year is going to look like, but understand that i mean you know what we did in april and know that we're going to work just as hard we're going to get just as creative and we're going to produce something very very cool next april still have no clue what it is but we want you behind us and by and large the our sponsors have have, have told us yeah we're, we're going to be behind you guys you know to whatever extent we can kind of thing so it's it's a collaborative discussion on that side too so, so Stephen, i kind of I, I kind of want to throw a similar question out at you right i mean 
presumably some of your revenue comes from being able to put people in the seats and maybe some some arts patrons, right? I mean, this would certainly have a limiting impact on your ability to put, you know, to, to sell out a theater. Or I guess you could sell it out at just maybe at 25 or 50% occupancy, whatever the fire marshal lets you do. I mean, you know, it strikes me that you guys, it sounds like, you know, are often duct taping this thing together. So, I mean, is, is this put you in a precarious situation more so, or, or is it the opposite? Like you're kind of well, used to it, so well, whatever. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, it, it through all of our, our entire year, you know, we've gone silent um, in that it was our 10th anniversary season. It was a hu- to be a huge celebration. Um, and, and I was not necessarily willing to allow that, that anniversary to pass and, and just, you know, so we shut the whole thing down. Obviously, we're looking at, at a situation where we can start to look at virtual readings. But, but for us, you know, part of it is having these playwrights have the ability to be with us. And so, um, you know, we feel like we are at a point, uh, unlike, I think, you know, Scott and, and the crew at Festival, where we can kind of step back and reflect on where we're headed and reflect on, on how we navigate what could be a new normal. You know, the theater, <laughs> it doesn't pay to have 20 people allowed. And, you know, when you're paying a venue um, like Cité to host us, you're paying for printing, you're pay- it doesn't pay to have 20 people in that building. So how do we figure out what the theater looks like? And, and you know, we've seen theaters all across the nation, as large as the Alley in Houston, having to cancel whole seasons. Um, so I think all of the theater community is going, all right, what does, what does it look like now? How can theater sustain? Theater is a hard thing to do without people. Um, you know, th- it's a hard thing to perform to a silent room. Um, so we shall see, but we have a few ideas now that we're, we're looking at for 21 that will involve a mix of virtual and in-person, um, and we'll see where we go from there. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm speaking with Scott Feehan, uh, Executive Director of Festival International, and Stephen Landry, Managing Artistic Director of Acadiana Repertory Theater. Um, Scott and Stephen, this is a segment that I like to do to just sort of shake things up a little bit. Um, we call it the job that I might have had, right? We've all got that career path that you may have been on before you kind of landed on whatever you're doing now, and vocationally, right? So, so I'm curious, like, you know, uh, to learn what it is that you might, you know, what it is that I might be interviewing you about, let's say, um, had things gone differently in your life. So, so Scott, I'd be curious to know, you know, if you were not executive director of Festival International, what would you be doing at this stage in your life? Kind of roll back that clock a little bit for me. Um, well, I actually don't need to roll it back far. I mean, my, my, um, I studied it in, in school. So, since I graduated, I've actually been in a software development um, manager uh, for, for external companies. So I'm actually working on a big project right now for PHI. So if I wasn't just doing festival, then I would be an, an IT nerd, which I guess kind of helped us pivot in some way when we had to go into the virtual space, because I, I am an, uh, really a nerd at heart. So that's where I'd be. So Stephen, um, same question to you. I mean, if you were not, you know, here representing uh, the, the 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 work at the Acadiana Repertory Theater, what would you be doing? What would we be talking about? Uh, so I am a travel consultant uh, for Wings Travel Management. We're a corporate uh, oil and gas uh, marine, and and uh, you know we we move people around basically, which has also been a real fun thing to be in the midst of a pandemic. Um, so that's what I do during the day, um, which has been you know. Another interesting, both of my, both of my things have been affected by 
by this pandemic. So it's been actually a wonderful way to keep me versatile and to keep me on my toes as far as, as, as developing and, and getting used to new norms. Uh, so that's what I, I mean, that's what I do when I'm not, when I'm not at the theater. Um, you know, in, in addition to going back to school and all these things that people are thinking are a good idea in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, so, so that's where I'm at, I, I think, but, but the theater has always been something that I've done, you know, since I was 11. Um, that's not ever not been a part of my life. Um, and I think it's always will be in one way, shape or form. This is just the form that mm -hmm. it's taken. Now. So, so something both of you guys have touched on, right, is regardless of what the outlook is with the pandemic itself and what we are or are not allowed to do is it, it seems like some of these changes you made might stick around or, or at least you're still contemplating what, you know, virtual versions of your work might look like. So I'm curious, like if you guys can be a little more, more specific, I mean, what, what, what beyond just sort of like setting up a live stream, are you thinking that you can do to actually enhance the experience, um, that audiences might have with what you guys present. Scott, let me ask you that question first. Yeah, I mean, right now, all of the, ide the ideas are all over the place um, from, you know, streaming, not just us streaming out, but possibly streaming in and collaborating with, whether it's artists or performers in another part of the world um, or another one of our festivals that we, you know, work hand in hand with. So we're, we're kind of brainstorming on how to make this a more, you know, a two-way collaboration. Um, I mean, we, we historically have brought international performers here, but you know, how can we kind of reverse that process and just have some fun in the, in the digital space? So not just beaming out, but beaming in. Right. right. Yeah. Interesting. Stephen, what about y'all? So, you know, the idea of some of the playwrights that can't join us for, for whatever reason, being able to virtually bring them into rehearsal, but also to work with other theaters. We had an instance a couple of years ago where a theater was doing the world premiere of the show we were doing two weeks after we closed. So it was a very tight window and changes we made in the script were then sent by the playwright to them to adjust. So the idea of the theaters collaborating um, and being able to be in each other's rehearsal uh, is something interesting to us. And, and we're looking long-term at the idea of a, of a new works festival um, that sort of will highlight multiple playwrights at the same time. Um, this is something that's done at a few theaters around the nation and, and we feel like what better place than Acadiana to, than to do that. Um, but to have a virtual part uh, aspect to that would, would bring a whole new level of participation um, from the New Works community around the country. So definitely there are some options and some possibilities that we think will help, but our first thing is gonna have to be to get people back in the seat. Mm -hmm. So we've all had our lives disrupted by COVID-19. Um, some of us have lost loved ones. Others have lost livelihoods. We're, we're used to hardship around here. We've seen fluctuations in the oil business decimate our economy. Floods and hurricanes are never too far away. Uh, we're used to a specific language that comes along with hardship. We're, we're going to tough it out. Uh, we'll bounce back. We're going to come back better and stronger. And but this time, though, as far as the economic consequences of the pandemic are concerned, the future is very much unclear. Uh, sure, we'll get back to normal sometime, somehow. We all kind of have to. But to be honest about it, all we really have at this stage is hope. So Scott and Stephen, both of you guys represent, you know, I, I think um, you know, very good bellwethers for for hope. And, and, and what you guys do is so very important in, in helping us cope with these things, obviously. Um, we'll know when we see festival back on the streets and plays back on the stage that life as we know it, or at least some, um, you know, facsimile of it is, uh, is, is back. So thank you guys for both uh, joining me today on At the Lunch Acadia. Hey, thanks for having me. It was, it was fun. Thanks, Christian. Really appreciate it. 
My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Scott Feehan, Executive Director of Festival International, and Stephen Landry, Managing Artistic Director of Acadiana Repertory Theater. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on KRBS. You can hear our unedited version and find out more about festival and local theater by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's acadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Launch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of her photos at lafleurphoto.com. We're going back to hosting Out to Lunch at the French Press soon. In the meantime, you can go there. They're open Wednesday through Sunday. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Christian Mader, editor of The Current, Lafayette's community-owned nonprofit newsroom. Thanks for joining me. For more great stories and conversation, check out thecurrentla.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'll see you here again next week around our virtual lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 